Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. So we're on chapter 2, verse 13 of Shmot, and we're going to start with Renee is going to read Vayetze. And I think we actually read this verse last week. We didn't do the Rashi. Is that correct? Reading the Rashi or the regular? Uh, why don't you start with the verse? Because I don't know if we spend a lot of time on it. Okay. Translate. Uh, he went out the next day and... Here are two men, uh, two Hebrew men that were striving. Yeah, it's an interesting verb. And, 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 the, and the, the rarity of the verb is one of the things that helps connect the connections that Rashi is going to connect. Um, nun sadi, to quarrel, to strive, to, to, to fight, some kind of like a, of a, of a kerfuffle. Okay. And he said to the wicked one, why did you strike your uh, your fellow? Good. And we raised a few questions on this last week, which we'll bring up again before we read Rashi. One of the questions we asked is why the verb nitzim. There are a lot of different ways of saying fighting. One question was, how did Moshe know who was the rasha? Like, what does he mean he said to the rasha? How did he, how did he know which one was the rasha? Um, why the word re'echa? Re'echa is a very intimate way of describing your fellow. Why is Moshe referring to the one who's being hit? as the Rea. We didn't discuss this last week, um, but um, what's the significance of Bayom Hashini? Is that just a standard way of saying the next day? It means the second day, second day after what? And the last thing we'll just, we just raised was this way in which the word Ish and Anashim is used in several different verses in a row in this section, right? This kind of a Buberian light word. Going back to um, verse 11, um, where it's Vayar Ish Mitzri, he saw the Egyptian man who was being Makeh, who was beating the Ish Ivri, the Hebrew man. In verse 12, Vayar Ki Ein Ish, he saw there was no man. In verse 13, Shnei Anashim, two men. In 14, which we'll get to, Misam Chala Ish, who made you a man, etc. So on the one hand, that could be a nothing. The word man is not such an interesting word, or this is a, a thematic word that's supposed to tell us something uh, kind of macro or meta about this about the section. Um, okay, Tova, and then we'll have Renee read the Rashi. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to also raise the question that uh, we this is the third time we've run into the word for strike or strike lethally. First time, Make, uh Rashi wants us to understand it as tormenting. Vayak, he wants it, it's understood that he's striking to death. So what is it here? What is, it, it appears that both men survive, so apparently it's not striking to death, but the fact that it's once again that same verb is interesting. Wonderful. And that's actually going to give some color to to um, uh, to Rashi's comment on takeh. Rashi's going to focus on the tense of the word takeh, but your comment that, both of these men seem to emerge alive, suggests that we're still not sure how to understand that verb, right? Particularly because Rashi, as you mentioned, reads it at least one of the ways as not meaning a death blow. Great. So, so remember that comment when we get to that Rashi. Uh, who, Marshall, your hand was up. 
I haven't looked at the Rashi yet, but I was just thinking of a Nitzim as present tense, and Takhev seems to be future tense. So let me wait. Let's wait till we get to Rashi. Then I'll see if I have to make a comment still. Okay, great. Okay, uh, good. So, Renee, why don't you jump right into the Rashis then? It's interesting that um, Everett Fox, instead of uh, wicked, uses guilty. That's his translation for Russia. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, um, we definitely translate Russia in modern Hebrew as wicked. In rabbinic Hebrew, it did, it, the, the, the root was used more, not necessarily more, but also in a jurisprudential reading. And, and to be laharshia is to, is to declare someone's guilt. So it's not completely out of bounds. The question is why he translates it um, that way here. Anyone want to hazard a guess as to if you're th- if you're thinking in English and not thinking in Hebrew, right? Which we're doing simultaneously. What's the difference between the, the scene saying that Moshe said to the uh, wicked one, "Why are you smiting your friend?" versus Moshe said to the guilty one? Does that does that change, or in what way does that change your understanding of the feel of that verse? Anyone? Maybe he feels like they've already been hitting, you know, getting. Uh, beating each other or beating other people. So he's assuming the guilt before it happens. Yeah. Uh, Everett Fox also says something interesting just in terms of the syntax of the verb. I, I, I guess this is um, the, the root, the, the verb from which we get the word nitzim is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is not a common verb. And I suppose there's something about the way that verb is written that it's not the simple present tense third person plural because he translates it not as um, he went out again and, and, and two Hebrew men were scuffling, which is like a past tense, but he writes it as two Hebrew men scuffling, exclamation point, almost as if it's like a, a pure gerund. That's descri- it's, I don't know, it's like a, it's a description of them as opposed to them doing the verb, right? But it's almost like, behold, two Hebrew men scuffling. For what reason do you strike your fellow? Lots of hands I see up. So Tova, Diane, Larry, Norm, and then Barry, and then we'll read the Rashi. Um, just on the uh, use of guilty versus uh, wicked, uh, use, the idea of wicked or evil seems to have a sort of moral connotation to them, a, an aspect of the character of the individual, whereas guilty could refer to an action, the action at that moment, that perhaps he's the one who was striking and the other one had not struck him, uh, uh-huh. or actions, behavior. Right. So if, if, if the baton is in his hand, he may or may not be a wicked person, but in that moment, he's, he's, he's a Russia. Yeah. Um, Larry, Diane? I want to think of this in terms of the way we <clears throat> thought about or the commentary on the previous scene. So verses 11 and 12 concisely describe the first incident of the Egyptian taskmaster striking the, the, the Hebrew. And in the commentary, Rashi goes back to a midrash, which gives us a very complex, you called it, I think, a rabbit hole um, story, the background of what was going on. Here we've got this, a similar story. They're very parallel. If you go back and you read them either in Hebrew or in English, you'll see that they almost rhyme, not literally, but in terms of the way in which the pace of the, of the story goes. And there should be a backstory, especially since we know that 
he, he sees one as being the Rasha. And yet Rashi, and as far as I can tell, none of the other commentators refer to any Midrash. So mm. I'm not saying there isn't one, but I don't see one. So it seems to be very asymmetric. Mm. And makes me want to write the backstory. <laughs> right, that we, we've got such a thick backstory for the previous scene and, and, and none for this one. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Um, just a, 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 a pause before we hear the next comments, because I think now everyone who's going to be on the class is here. A week from today, I will be moving my daughter uh, into college on the East Coast, so I will not be able to teach. Um, so, uh, Leonard, are you available to teach next? Okay, good. So there will be class, but I will, I will, it will not be I, because um, we'll, we'll see how long college how, how long it holds. My guess is that I'll be moving her in next week and she'll be coming back the week after that. But uh, at least she'll get four days in a dorm by herself with no food. So that's worth, a, that's worth at least $50,000. Okay. Next. Um, uh, Marshall. Yeah. I seem to remember a phrase being the I don't remember where it's from, but it means the guilty one who is subject to lashes, I believe. So here's a, they, tying in together the word rasha, I guess if you're subject to lashes, you must be wicked. Therefore, you're guilty. Yeah. So, um, right, that, that's... Um, ex- yeah, except that the way it's... The, the, the way it's, um, it's written here is that the, the, the one who is doing the lashing is being, um, is being described as the rasha, Right. The, your, your reference to it is it's a, it's it's um I just pulled it up I can show everybody it's Dvarim twenty five two hold on a second let me share it with you right so this is um I actually think it might even be in this week's parsha I think it might be Kitetse so that was a that was a nice pull Marshal it's a whole section dealing with 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 uh with um with juris, jurisprudence and how the judge responds in the case. And yes, in this case, I think you could read it just like that, that the, um, that if the, that the, that the, the one being hit is determined to be a Russia, right? But here Moshe is referring to the one with the thing in his hand as the Russia, right? Um, and we'll get Rashi. will will dig that out a little bit. Rick, Norm, Vera, and then I want to read a Rashi. Hi. So um, I was just going to say that um, there's no backstory yet on these two guys um, other than the two names that are coming up. But there's there's more bad stuff on them that he links. So this is the beginning of all the the backstory. So we don't have it yet. But um, um, I know a Josh coming up. um, But anyway, could I could I share the other thing that I found just a little bit? Yeah. So um, it's it's the, uh, this was in uh, uh, Moshe uh, uh, Rabbi Menachem Kasher's the uh, Torah Shlema, mm-hmm. the all the commentary. He said that he he quotes. Sorry, he's writing that he's he's quoting the words of the grandson um, uh, Rosh Bam. Right, he mm-hmm. quotes his grandfather Rashi as having told him that if he Rashi had the time he would rewrite his commentary on the Torah according to the new interpretations forthcoming every day. Mm. So I, I like that, that uh, Rashi wasn't stuck. And obviously he's using all sorts of 
dictionaries and, and other sources. But um, I really like that, um, that Kasha threw that in there. Wonderful. Thank yeah. you. I love that idea of the Torah being given every day and being written every day through our, yeah. like right now, we are right now helping to create Torah. Yes. Norm Vered. I think the reason that nobody cites a Midrash on this is that they don't need to because they have biblical citations that they're able to go to, which are even, at least theoretically, at least even more convincing. Because if we go to the Midbar, I think it's 25, we're going to find a reason to tie these two people to being um, Aviram and, and, and Dasan. Right. So, so. Uh, Norm is anticipating where we're about to go with Rashi. Rashi is going to take us in a not nearly as complex a rabbit hole as we as we had in the Egyptian uh, taskmaster in the, in the Hebrew. But there's going to be um, using what we call Gzera Shava, where we compare um, one word in one verse with the same word appearing in a totally different context that allows the rabbis to say, ah, these two things must be uh, connected. So we'll be there very quickly. Very good, Norm. Vered, last comment before we read the Rashi. Sure. I um, would like to comment, <clears throat> excuse me, about the word lama takere echa. So lama, the word lama in Hebrew means why, but I remember we talked about it in Perek Aleph, Pasuk Yudchet, um, of course in Sefer Shmot, the Melech Mitzrayim was calling the male dot and he says to them, Madua asitem He's not seeking an explanation like in this sentence, why are you hitting your friend? It's not that why, it's just don't do it. It has a different meaning like we had in the other pasuk, not that he was asking the male dot, why are you doing it? There is a law, but some sort of a no, 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 you know, kind of don't do it. It's not okay to do it. You're saying that, that the, the lama is more of, of that than, than madua? Yes. It's interesting. I, 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 in terms of the meaning of, in terms of the context of the verse, I think you're right. In terms of the reason in terms of the origin of the word, I always connected lama as lima, for what reason? And I always thought of lima as specifically curious about an explanation, whereas madua, I, I, never, I never know how to connect it to any other, any other word etymologically, was just why. But well, isn't lama from lima? Lima, looking for a reason. Yeah. So the word reason is hidden there, but here... Lama takeriacha is not looking for a reason. It's just saying you just don't do it. Why are you doing it? Not for the reason. It's just in Hebrew we say there's a word say geara, which means you are kind of mad at this person and you say it's not okay to do it. Right. Tisk 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 finger wagging. Yes. Okay. Good. Now, so there's a lot of thick things out there with the verse. Now, Renee, let's read the Rashi and see what he can add to our conversation. Okay, pause. So the first thing Rashi did is, is give just two names of people, but there's so much built up and, 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 and tucked away in these words, right? Because you, you actually have to know so much about the Torah and and the, the stories of the Torah and the way words are used for you to get this, right? Without 
without it being annotated, you might say either who are they, or even if you knew who they were, right? If you know that they are, and who are they, by the way, who are Datan Babiram? Part of, part of which cohort? Anyway. The Hebrews. No. The ones with Korach. With Korach, right? So Datan Abiram are the kind of the, the vice generals of Korach's rebellious army. And so Rashi assumes two things because Rashi doesn't make the connection explicitly. Rashi assumes, A, you know who they are. That's not, that's not a totally unreasonable assumption, right? If you're particularly in Rashi's era and even, you know, in, in this era, if, you, if, you're, if you're familiar with the flow of the stories of Torah, you might get to Datan Abiram in your head that they come from Korach. But what, you, what he also assumes is that you know why he's saying that these are Datan Abiram, right? Why he's saying this is Datan Abiram. And the question is, why is he saying that this is Datan Abiram? And who, uh, Rick has a hand up and Tova has a hand up. Well, I was just going to say, in 15, it gives more yeah. ammunition. But um, again, mm-hmm. the, the beginning is... Did we come here? Oh, hi. Um, we have the, the kernel, and then he's adding on to it later on instead of the other way around with Shlomit, where the, the backstory is all there. So in, in, in the commentary to 15, there's more. You know that. Right. But on this point, he's kind of, it's kind of quiet, but yeah. there, is an, there is a linguistic connection. Tova? Um, I'm not sure if I'm remembering it, uh, it precisely, but in, when we, in the Korite episode... Don't they say something to the effect of who are you to set yourself over us in a very similar manner to the yes. question that follows in the next verse? Right. So let me show you something. Hold on. Um, okay. So here we are in the 26th chapter of the book of the Midbar. And uh, we have the uh, up above the beginning of the Korah story. Then, verse 9, Uvene Eliav, the sons of Eliav, were Nimuel and Datan the Aviram. The, um, uh, sorry, we're not in the Korach story. We're much later in, in, in the Torah. Um, Datan Aviram. Who Datan Aviram, the very Datan Aviram, Krue Haeda, the ones who were called out or chosen for the group, the assembly, Asher, here we go. Hitsu al Moshe, who that same root quarreled with, scuffled with, agitated his translate here against Moshe, Bial Aharon against Aaron, Ba'adat Korach in Korach's assembly, Be same verb, Hatsotam al Adonai in their agitation against God. So what Rashi is doing quietly, and again, it's, it's, it's not exclusively the Rashi comes from, from the Midrash, is remember that word in the verse that we didn't know exactly how to translate because it's not such a common, common one, Nitzim. There aren't that many places in Chamisha, Chumshe, Torah, the five books of Moses where it comes out. And what's another place where it comes out? In describing the t- two other men, Datan the Abiram, who... Uh, in, in this verse, um, later on in the book of Bamidbar, not in Parshat Korach, the description of what they did to Moses and to Aaron was Hatzah or Matzah, some kind of a quarrel or scuffle. So that's enough for Rashi to say that if, if, if these are Nitzim kind of people, they were Nitzim in the desert against Moses and they were Nitzim here with one another. And just to layer it more, 
it means that their encounter with Moshe and the rebellion with Korach is not their first encounter with Moshe. They encounter Moshe before he was Moshe. They encounter Moshe as Moshe becomes Moshe. And then they rebel against Moshe that he became. Right? I want to say that one more time. Here, they're, they're need-seeming with each other, and they confront the man, Moshe, who's about to become, in some ways, through this incident, yeah. the person who's going to be the, uh, uh, leading the Israelites out of Egypt. And then, as Moshe continues to become that person, then they quarrel against his leadership. And in both places, they confront him with, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? So it's actually a kind of a nice connection. It's not just a gzera shava on the word nitzim. It's actually a nice and thick connection. Okay. Um, Rick, Stevie, and Norm. I was done. Sorry. Oh, you were done. Stevie. Yeah. Um, just that Natan and Aviram were probably more colloquially well-known names at the time of Rashi. Um, specifically, I can cite the Bird's Head Haggadah, um, which dates to the Rhineland around the year 1300. I just looked it up on Wikipedia. Uh, but in the Bird's Head Haggadah, um, the Tanaviram are repeatedly specifically depicted. Uh, like all the Jews have these bird's heads and, and all the Jews except for those two have the, the same like matching hat thing. Um, and they're both the image of the Rasha and just like two people that don't have these hats and various other images. Um, so the, and there's many Midrashim surrounding them about various wicked things that they do. Um, and anyway, those Midrashim were probably just colloquially known ba- based on the evidence, again, of, of the Sagada from, huh. you know, a little bit after Rashi's time, but not so far after. Thank you, Stevie. That's that's wonderful background. Norm? Gesundheit. Uh, I also believe that if we go to Bamidbar uh, 2526, um, that we will see that Dasan and Aviram are called Anashim HaRashaim, and calling them Rashaim uh, ties directly back to the verse we're learning. Right. Such a fascinating um, uh, comment. And it'll become fascinating even more in a second, uh, Norm. So hold on to that as Renee continues to read. So Renee, read the Rashi, and then we'll, I'll, sh- I'll show you why what Norm just said is really interesting, given where Rashi is about to go. Okay. So, hold on, hold on so, so he adds four more words that, again, are cryptic unless you know the Torah by heart. Right. And I guess he assumes that we know the Torah by heart, but none of us do. I certainly don't. So first he mentions the Tanvevram. He thinks you're going to make the Hatsa'ah Hitsu connection. And then he says there's another linguistic connection. I'm not only connecting the Tanvevram to the word Nitzim. I'm also connecting them to another word, but he doesn't tell you what that word is. He just gives you the reference. Heim Shehotiru Minhaman, the ones who, who, who left over the mana. What the hell is he talking about here? I will show you. Done. Okay. So, uh, another scene in the desert coming up in, oh, 14 chapters from now. So we'll get there, I don't know, in a decade. Um, right where um, the, the, the Israelites begin to experience the miracle of man from the heavens. So if we, if we go back a few verses... Uh, verse 16, Zehadavar, this is what God's commanded. Liktu um, mimenu, collect 
um, uh, from what you see that has fallen, ish lefi ochlo, whatever you need for your own sustenance. Uh, it tells you exactly, you know, what, what it should be per person. Vayasu came b'nei Yisrael, and the Jewish people did that. Vayil katu hamamit, some took more, some took less. Vayamodu ba'omer, when they measured it, by the omer, v'lohadif hamarbeh, the person who had gathered more didn't have any extra, v'hamamit lo'yhechsir, the person who gathered less didn't have too little, right? So somehow the miracle was not only that it arrived, but it arrived in your Sats, you know, satchel exactly what you needed. Ish lefi ochlo lakatu. They took exactly what they needed. Vayomer Moshe alehem. Moses said to them, "Al yoter mimenu adboker. Don't leave any in the up. Don't leave any for the next morning. Why? We'll discuss that in great detail when we when we get to that verse. But they're one of the, you know, it, it's it's kind of like a, a Mary Poppins approach to food, where right enough is as good as a feast. And the mana was take only what you need and and consume it now. There shouldn't be any left over. If it's any left over, it meant that you were hogging God's miraculous food. Velosha mul Moshe. Ha! What a surprise! They didn't listen to Moshe. Vayotiru anashim. A couple of men left over ad boker until the morning. Vayarum tolaim. And in that leftover food, worms came in. Vayivash and it spoiled. Like Tzov Alehem Moshe, and Moses got mad at them. Okay, so when when Rashi says regarding the fact that he's already identified these two men as Datan Ba'abiram, and says those are the same unnamed Anashim who left the, the mana over until morning, he's saying that there's a connection between this verse and the verse from Bamidbar in the verb Nitzim, and there's a connection between our verse and another story of people, and that is the word Anashim, okay? What's now, Norm, say your comment again, and why that, and then we'll see why your comment is so interesting. My comment was that uh, Rashi's identifying them as Das and Aviram, and that the word Rashaim is they're described that way in in numbers. Right. Do you have the exact citation? I think it's numbers twenty five twenty six. All right. Nope. Sixteen twenty five. Sixteen twenty five. Sixteen twenty five of numbers? Yes. Um Do you have any verse 2526 on there? No. I have Safari. Okay. But it's right up there. Ah, 1626. Right. Okay. So okay. Rashi had a, had another verse, and we might argue had a better verse, right? Rashi uh, chooses a verse about the mana because the word anashim is in it, and it's the tam, and, 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 and then makes the jump saying, ah, that's also the tam ba'aviram. But he could have gone to this verse where it's even more explicitly saying that it's Tatan Baviram, and the verb, and he's got both the word Anashim, which is in our verse, and the verb Rishaim, which is in our verse. So Rashi makes a very interesting editorial decision to add on to his comment this association with our verse of the two men quarreling being the Tan Baviram, not reconnecting it even more strongly to the core Korach story where they are described as wicked men, but trying to like, it's like trying to hang yet another sin on them. Right. Not only are they quarreling with each other here and then pushing against Moshe's burgeoning authority, and not only will be, they be the ones who are quarreling against Moses and Aaron later, but, but they're also wasteful. 
right? They, 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 they also took too much food from the buffet and even when they were explicitly told not to. So he, he chooses against a verse that has more of a linguistic connection to our verse in order to pin yet another sinful act upon Datan Ba'aviram. Okay, uh, Tova. Uh, yeah, I was just going to add that it uh, seems like it's, it's beyond just gluttony or greediness. It also reflects that they don't respect or have no faith in Moses' leadership, Great. which goes back, and also arguably no faith in God, that God is going to provide every day this food. They don't need to save any because God's going to provide. And so it argues even a lack of faith in that. Great. Which, yeah. Great. Uh, a, la- a, la- a lack of willingness to follow Moshe, a lack of faith in God. And it's almost like this little Midrashic um, thread, you know, that the, you know, the, the Israelites experience in the desert is one of constantly pushing against Moshe's authority and God's authority. And it's almost as if this Midrashic thrust is saying, you know, I know it sounded like, um, you know, for 40 years they were pushing against authority, but it was just two guys every single time. Every single time you, you see someone, put, it, it, it was just the same two. Right. Um, you know, like, you know, the notion that two, two percent of a society or a system are going to take up 50 percent of the energy of the ones in charge. Right. We learned about that in rabbinical school. None of you are in the two percent. Don't worry. Uh, but two, two percent are going to take up most of, most of your energy. Well, maybe some of you, but I won't tell you. Who. Um, um, so so it's it's the Midrash's way of saying, oh, it's just the Tan Raviram. Every time you see Anashim doing things they are not supposed to be doing, it's those two. Mary Diane. I was going to say, just to follow on what you just said and go back to what Stevie said about the Bird's Head Haggadah, these are the two guys in the black hats, and they just keep showing up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to admit that I was wrong, but not for the reasons you're talking about. Rashi's gone in a different direction. Rashi forgot what he told us in the previous verse. You know what Datan was? He was the... Edward G. Robinson. Yeah, that could be. But he was also the guy whose wife was raped by the Egyptian. And that's in, that's in um, uh, Shemot Rabbah, in the reference he makes in chapter 1, verse 28. So it says, and not only this, but moreover, he slept, he being the taskmaster, with the wife of Datan. So... He was, he was, Rashi doesn't go back to this, but there it is. And now he and his brother are fighting. And one of them is referred to as Rasha, unless you read that as one of the Rashaim, or just that they're both both Rashaim, so he's a Rasha. But it says the Rasha. So maybe the Rasha is the brother. And they're fighting because of some something about this rape of the wife of Datan. It's not there, but it's there. Does Rashi identify him as Datan? Or just the Midrash on which Rashi is relating it? I don't think Rashi mentions Datan in that comment. I don't think so either, but if Rashi, if, if well, I don't know that the citation is actually Rashi, so I may be wrong. Right? The citation probably is not from Rashi himself. He's just referring to the Midrash, and then there's a citation. Uh-huh. But you assume that he knows the, I mean, Rashi knows the Midrash, 
You're saying that in the original Midrash in Vayikra Rabbah, where we have the, it's Shlomit Bat-Dibri, who's raped by the Egyptian, that that Midrash references Shlomit Bat-Dibri as the wife of Datan? Yes, in, it's, it's actually Shmot, Shmot Rabbah, chapter 1, verse 28. And he's getting a lot of, but not all, I mean, all of his backstory, obviously, from these, from this Midrash, or Midrash, uh-huh. it, I haven't read forward. It goes on, and it, it it actually it actually goes on. It's clear to me, and I haven't studied midrash. So I guess that's the next thing I want to do. Um, is it, it's clear that, that 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 they wanted to know the backstory for all this, and so they created the backstories. And what's surprising to me only is that Rashi doesn't choose to include all of the backstories, but only some of them. Yeah. Great. I had, I had not picked up on that when, when uh, doing the research on the previous class that, that because there, there, there are actually several Midrashim, as is always the case, that that story is based on. The primary Midrash that, that, if you, if you, that, that you look at is one from Vayikra Rabbah, from the, from, the, from the verse in which we find Shlomit, uh, the, the, the Nikalel. And there, I'm not sure that Tatana is mentioned, but maybe there's a version of it in Shemot Rabbah where he is, and you're right, I'm sure Rashi knew of it, and it's interesting to think through why he doesn't include that, right? Why he doesn't want to, particularly because he's about to identify Datan in the next scene. Fascinating. I, I totally missed that. Wonderful, Larry. Good sleuthing. Okay. Um, let's keep... Okay. So th- this is what Rashi's about to do is something he, he often does, which is that he gives you the most substantive of his, of his comments first, and then he goes back and just does a, um, a vocabulary review. So... One more word in that Rashi, uh, Renee, or one one more word on the next word in the Rashi. Lama take. No, 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 up, up, up one. Maravim. Yeah, so so he's now commenting on the word itself, nitzim, and how does he translate the word nitzim? To destroy. Uh, no, what's um, what's reeve in Hebrew? Ratio. Quarrel, quarrel. Quarrel to fight. So interesting. He he's. He, he, he somehow assumes you know what the word means because he sent you forward in your brain to another reference of Datan Bavi Ram, where they are Hitsu. And now he says, in case you didn't know what that word meant, I'll tell you what it means. It means to quarrel. It's kind of backwards. You might think that he would have first defined the word and then said, and you might rec- remember this word from that story in the book of Bamidbar. He goes the opposite. And this actually, it, it happens occasionally where he, he does the, the most fundamental of the comments at the very end of a comment. Ah, you don't know what the word means. It means they seem. He also might be thinking, if you don't know what the word means, you probably also didn't get the previous thing I said. Right. If you don't know what Nitzim means, then when I cryptically just said, your brain didn't go to that verse, because if you don't know what the word means, you still don't remember it by heart. Um, so it's almost like he's speaking to the elite readers first, <laughs> and then he, at the end of his comment, he says, "Oh, by the way, you, 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 um, you, uh, you in the remedial class, I'll just tell you what the word means." That's actually helpful because it's not a common biblical word to quarrel, to fight. Uh, Matt, Rick, Marshall. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I just we, we'll go back for a minute. Sorry, uh, I know you're trying to move forward. But... Uh, I noticed in the uh, in the Unculus, the question of Rasha is bad versus guilty. Unculus calls him Lachayava, mm. Lachayava, which I guess what means the guilty one, right? Very good, good pickup, right? So, 
So it may be that some of the translations of Rasha into guilty are influenced by Unculus or both Unculus and the translations are influenced by the same thing. And therefore, that's why Unculus translated that way. Wonderful. Yeah, Chayava in Aramaic um, is like Chayav. In Hebrew, Chayav can mean both obligated to do a mitzvah and obligated meaning you're guilty. You did something wrong. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, Rick Marshall. Uh, Hi. In the Silverman book, there is a a footnote um, that goes back. And I know you you like to talk about the um, the root of the words and all that. So the footnote is um, the Hebrew has the imperfect taket. Why will you smite? And doesn't say lama ata make. Why are you smiting? Stop! 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 Because oh, Rashi, we're, we're gonna. I want to see that in the Rashi first. Oh, I'm Let's sorry. The Rashi first. That's okay. It's okay. good. But I want to. Okay. I want to bring up that through the Rashi. But that that's. That's the place we're about to go next. Okay, Marshall? Sorry. Yeah, the word re, uh, revim, uh, surely in English it's translated as quarrel. In the Gelbard, you know, Lishutoshal Rashi, he says the following, revim, below bitkotetim, that they were quarreling below lihitkotet, at least according to the Rav Milim dictionary, means to argue or to quarrel with violence. And that's why it says Rahu below Hikahu They were quarreling with each other, but they had not yet come to blows. Yeah. And that's going to lead us to the next Rashi. Exactly. So there are some clues in the word, in the word that would help us set up the scene if we were, you know, filming it, right? They they were, so so you're right. It could be that what Rashi is saying by translating Nitzim as Mirivim, he could be just doing straight vocab. You don't know what the word means. I'll, I'll tell you what it means. Or he could be saying something to set up the next comment, which is that what whatever you think Nitzim means, it doesn't mean he doesn't mean Mirivim to mean quarreling. He means Mirivim to mean only quarreling, right? Not yet having committed any crime, which makes us even even more interesting that that one of them is being called Rasha. Wonderful. Right. Uh, before I get to you, Larry, Diane, Vered, is is this root used in modern Hebrew? Nitzim? No, I, I don't. I don't remember hearing it. No, I can't hear you. Unmute. Unmute, Vered. Uh. No, I did. I'm sorry. Okay. No, it's it's definitely not. And and the Shorish could be actually non tzaddik tzaddik. But what I wanted to say is that take. Uh, is in the future tense, like was mentioned, why not Make? Because he wasn't just hitting him. He just intended in the sense that he maybe lifted his hand right. in an attempt to hit him. Right. But he didn't do it yet. So Take, well, you lifted your hand, you will hit him. Correct. You know, uh, and so he was just called Rasha, as Rashi says, because he lifted his hand and he attended in an attempt in a intention right. to hit him. So we're but about- just to say Merivim is verbal when you fight verbally and meet Kotetim, there's other thing. You can hit him, you can, you know, throw him down. So Merivim is only verbally disputing. Yeah. Yeah. So we're about to, we're, we've been hovering around it. We're about to read that comment to Rashi if we can get through the, the other hand. So Larry, Diane, Barry, Marshall. Only to say, Merivim, who Merivims, Yerivim, rivals, 
and you don't usually think of rivals as being um, uh, as actually fighting physically. They're contesting. Do you think those are etymologically related? Yerivim? A rival and and Rivim? Like because of R-I-V? It did, occur, it, did, it did occur to me. I don't think that they are, but it's one of those coincidences. Yeah. But clearly, a Yariv, in modern Hebrew at least, is a rival. Yeah. So, yeah. like, in, in sports. So, they're not, even though sports can be physical. So, yeah. there's some brothers who are rivals. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. If someone wants to look up on a, on a, on a etymology page what the etymology of rivals are, that would be great. In the in, rival of the etymology of the English word rival, it would it would shock me if it came from Reeve, but I suppose it's possible. Barry and then Marshall. Uh, well, first of all, on, on rival and chivalry, so there's a connection there. Um, where I'm coming from is this is very strange. Uh, we had just uh, the day before um, the Egyptians striking, I guess it's Dotan. Is that what I heard in the um, in the midrash? Mm-hmm. And and now the one who was stricken is now raising his hand to strike the other fellow. Um, why why are we being told this that the the, the one who was stricken is now raising his hand against the next one? It, 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 what what happens in, in character when when one if, is experienced being stricken, uh, then raises one's hand to strike the next one? I, I'm not quite sure where I'm going with this, but um, there's something deep there. Yeah. So, Thank you, Barry. Marshall, and then we're going to read Lama Takeriecha. And then I actually have to go back one second because something I forgot to mention the word Anashim. Marshall? Yeah, again, this is uh, from the, the Rav Milin took had the Shorish Nun Sadi Hey, uh, having four meanings. They say a biblical meaning is to dispute. And it also goes on to say it means quarrel, to strive, and then to struggle. Yeah. So various shades of the whole meaning. Yeah. Uh, permit me to go back one second because I wanted to point out something interesting to you. Well, let me get there. Okay. So Rashi using the word Anashim in our verse to connect these Anashim team as kind of bad folks and not only bad folks, but very bad folks, bad folks who are actually called uh, Anashim uh, Rishaim elsewhere, even though he doesn't bring that verse, the Tan Aviram. Uh, several super commentaries on Rashi note the irony in Rashi using the word Anashim here to connect into the Tan Aviram, because in Parshat um, Shlach Lecha, when the spies are being sent out, by Shlach Otam Moshe, Moshe sent them, Mibidbar Paran, from the wilderness of Paran, Al-Piyadunaya, based on God's word. Kulam Anashim. These were all Anashim. These were all men. Rashi ben Israel Hema, the uh, heads of the people of the tribes of Israel. And on that uh, verse, Rashi says, Kulam Anashim. I, I only have it in English here for some reason on this page of Sepharia. Whenever the word Anashim, men, is used in scripture, it's a term denoting worthiness. These men, they later sinned, but at the time when they were appointed, they were worthy men. So Rashi, if you quote Rashi to Rashi, you could say, hey, Rashi, you're on record by in saying that when Anashim is used, it's used l- l- in praise. And yet you are using Anashim 
as the linchpin to connect this scene of quarreling men to two wicked folks, Datan Babiram. So it's an interesting um, conversation back and forth in the 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th centuries on this little, little piece, why Rashi uses Anashim as a word here when elsewhere he's of the opinion that Anashim is always denoting something positive. So I thought that would be, that was a interesting um, little thing to add. Okay. Back to you, um, Renee, for Lama Taket. We've been referencing this, but now we're actually going to read it inside. Lama Taket, Afapi Shelo Hikahehu, Hikahu, Pasha, Bahamat, Yad. Okay, so see if you can translate that. Afapi Shelo Hikahu. Why did you? Why would you strike him, even though he hasn't hit hit? Even though he hasn't hit him. Even though so so the lama. Why would you strike even though he hasn't hit him? The lama take is the quote from the verse. Why will you hit? It's formally in the future. Now Rashi says, Even though he did not hit him yet, kama nikra. He is called wicked. By means of why is he called wicked already? Just because he raised his hand, just because he's pretending to hit. Right, right. So, so what's this is a, a classic Rashi where he doesn't give you the question, he just gives you the answer. The question is, why is the verb um, take and not uh, hika? And his answer is that this is kind of a, a musar has scale, like it's a, it's, a, it's a moralistic reading that as soon as you do this, you're a Rasha. Even though I don't think he's going there, for me, it's evocative of Avraham, right? Avraham does this, does not bring the knife down because the angel comes and interrupts. And as a result of his not bringing the knife down, he's not considered a Russia. He's actually considered a faithful man. Here, Rashi is saying that the, the verse is telling us that, that the, the, the premeditation to do the violent act, even if it's not consummated, puts you in the category of a Russia. Right? Very interesting way of understanding uh, intention and where, where goodness turns into evil. Matt? Uh, to, uh, well, first, I would suggest that we translate Lama Tika as why, why would you? Why would you? Aha. Uh-huh. Or why should you? Aha. Uh-huh. And secondly, you know, in, in, in our law, um, there's a crime called assault, which is not actually hitting the person. Battery is the one where we're actually hitting the person. Aha. Uh-huh. So he's, he's, he's guilty of assault, the threat, the visible physical threat. Yeah, right. So, in, 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 you know, as you know, I'm not a lawyer or a legal scholar, but there are many places in our modern law code where you can, you can be guilty of something without physical contact. It's possible to, a, to a assault or harangue, right. harangue someone. Um, and I think that the, 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 the Jewish ethics here, it's interesting because Judy, Jewish ethics basically do not, in general – criminalize hirhurim, thinking, right? If once, once you start right. criminalizing your, your, your sinful intentions, you're, you're in, you're in a, you know, an Orwellian world and you're in a thought police and it's also just not possible, right? It's, it's really not possible. I think for a human being to prevent himself or herself from having wicked um, thoughts or fantasies or whatever. Right. But there's something about maybe maybe the the, the musar would step would divide it into three stages. The worst stage is when you actually do the act, the, and and that's clearly wicked. The first stage is when you're just thinking about something because we all think about things, and that might still be in the realm of 
you know, try to avoid it, but, but, but you're not wicked yet. But, but if you're up, but if it, if the knife's in your hand, you've crossed the Rubicon and halacha or, or, or agada considers you to be a Russia anymore or already. Uh, Judy, Norm, Stevie. At first I was really resonating with how Rashi wants us to have us think that the only two Rashaim in the whole Humash are these two guys. Yeah. I, I really like that, but suddenly while you were talking, especially reflecting on this last piece that the intention, and that's why it's future tense, of raising the hand. That makes me think of the Haggadah and the Four Sons. And it makes me think of the commentary that it's about the four qualities in each of us. And I'm thinking, uh, very interesting. We all have that potential to be like Datan, you know, and, and his buddy Aviram, uh, and they're all qualities that we need to be aware of because, as you say, Rabbi, we all have that potential of raising our hand with that intention. And then we, what do we do? Yeah. And it's, it, it's actually a very severe midrash because when I, when I was kind of, kind of going deep into it and preparing for the class, I was, I was thinking about moments in my own life rather recently where I got to the proverbial this, right, not with a – knife or a, or, or a weapon, but, but w- it, like about to do or about to say the thing I shouldn't do or say pulled back because some super ego came over me and felt righteous, felt righteous for the pullback. Right. Um, you know, you know, about, about to raise my voice or yell, or lose my temper. And what Rashi is saying is like, it might be more righteous to pull back than to do the act. But the moment you've done this, haramat yad, you're already worthy of being called a rasha. It's a very severe way of understanding um, human behavior. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's an unworthy one. It's just we, we probably let ourselves off the hook um, for having al- allowed ourselves to get to the precipice, even if we pull back from the precipice. Stevie, Norm, or Norm, Stevie, I forgot which order you were in. It'll be a, a battle of the generations. I just want to clarify that assault is never merely planning to do something bad. You have to actually begin the action. So if I raise my hand to you and, 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 and strike in your direction but miss you, that's an assault. If I, if I aim a gun at you to try and get you to do something, that's an assault. Um, battery would mean I have to actually touch. Got it. Thank you, Norm. Stevie and then Matt. Yeah, this conversation makes me think that there's actually a very sort of less severe possibility going on where it's just like two little kids horsing around and from the outside perspective it looks like they're fighting and you can you know we've all been in this circumstance where the you know the grown-up will you know separate the kids and the kids don't want to be separated and they lash out at the grown-up saying who put you in charge you know um and that seems to be the their response to moses is like we're doing our own thing and like you know what you're the conclusion you're jumping to is just you know like you know the hell with you yes. um and i don't know I, I just i've never i've never before read this and and thought of it in that way but it it does and it doesn't seem like rashi's do, 
is 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 assuming that either in like a moral sense because he's Rashi's sort of taking Moses aside, right? But it does. But Rashi is sort of painting a picture where that maybe is what's going on, but not from Moses's perspective. Yeah, great. Thank you, Stevie. Um, okay, believe it or not, we have one more little piece of this Rashi to add. So Renee, let's just finish it up. Okay, so the verb, the word in the verse is re'echa. Rashi's answer with the question implied is wicked, rasha kemotcha, wicked. Wicked like yourself. Wicked like yourself. What? What's Rashi's question and what's his answer? We kind of hinted at the question when we were reviewing the verse, but what, what's the question and what's his answer? Just sh- shout out. I mean, are they are they really wicked because they didn't no. actually make physical who's, contact? Who's the assaulting and who isn't? Why is the word reyecha used? They're right. So the wicked. question is, why is it reyecha? They're both wicked. Right. So that's and that's the answer. The so so Barbara, Steve, you have the question right. Barbara, you have the answer right. The question is, and we hinted at this. Reya, Reish Ayin, is a very intimate way of describing your fellow. When ever, I think Ever Fox translates this as your fellow. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. You for what fellow? do you strike your fellow? The English word fellow is very milk toast. The Hebrew Reya is, is, is an intimate, someone you love or someone very dear to you. So Rashi asked the question without asking it, why does the Torah use Reecha to refer to the one who's about to be hit? And his answer is that Moshe is doubly implicating them. Why are you, the one with the you know, fist in, in balled up, about to hit your Reya, who's just like you? What like you? Rasha like you. Wicked like you. Wicked in the sense that, he, that had I come five minutes later or five minutes earlier, it could have been the reverse. It could have been that person about to hit you. Right. Saperstein, though, Saperstein has a footnote that's similar to what Stevie was saying. He said they define the word, the word Rea as one who has something in common with another person, often the bond of friendship. And here where one of the men was about to hit the other, the Torah wouldn't be referring to their friendship. So the word has to be alluding to something else that the two of them had in common. Right. Some kind of intimacy that's that's more than just describing the other guy in the scene. Right. Now, what we pull out from this A is yet more moralization from Moshe. Not only is the one who is hitting Rasha, the one who's about to be hit is Rasha. It also reinforces some we were discussing that if we if we connect all these comments together, these are a pair. These are Datan Aviram. These are not um, aggressor and victim. These are two um, Rishaim who are constantly getting into trouble. And as uh, Judy said before, focusing on what we had said earlier, you know, the 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 the, the ones who are the constant rabble rousers amongst the Israelites and not necessarily represent representative of all of Israel, except that when we get to next, uh, the next verse, which will be in two weeks from now, because I will not be here next week, we'll see that, um, that what, what one of the ways in which Moshe understands the scene, and this is not at all clear in the pshat, is that what he's experiencing is indeed something representative of the people he's about to lead. We're not about to, but soon. Right. This is his first encounter with the people who are going to drive him nuts for 40 years. And they are Nitzim and they are Rishaim. And it's not just Datan Aviram. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. 
If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.